Well, welcome. Last week, um, I was visiting my brother's church at Southside, and uh, worship went on for a while, and family time went on for a while, and by the time I got up to preach, uh, there was not much time left in the, sermon, in the uh, service. Um, and uh, I mentioned that to, uh, to a couple of people this week, and obviously, God has heard my cry. This week's service, the worship was short. It's only 10.45. So, <laughs> so I have lots and lots of time. And everyone's saying, no, no, God's answering my prayer. We're leaving early. Is that right? Uh, let's see who's more righteous, shall we? Hey, hey. No, it's not about righteousness. It's okay. It's okay. Um, so I want to talk about uh, uh, antinomianism this morning. Uh, antinomianism. What is antinomianism. Uh, so uh, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 2 and 3, I'm going to read it before you even get there, but Luke chapter 19, it says, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Uh, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And that's what antinomianism is all about, short people. I was going to say, would all the short people stand up, but that probably wouldn't be uh, worthwhile. Um, okay, all right. <laughs> I figure if you can offend everybody in a sermon, then everybody feels equal, right? We're not picking on short people this morning. No, no. Uh, for those of you who actually uh, think about, uh, who actually know what antinomianism is, it's got nothing to do with short people, all right? So short people, you're off the hook. Um, <clears throat> I won't say that other people won't pick on you, but I'll stop picking on you for this morning. Um, antinomianism, nothing to do with short people, nothing to do with dwarfs. Uh, it's actually from uh, two Greek words, anti meaning against, and nomos, the law. So quite literally, antinomianism is against the law. Okay? Uh, not illegal, but against the law. Um, this was a term that was coined by uh, Martin Luther, uh, and uh, he was really... Uh, uh, struggling with this idea of coming out from the Catholic Church and the whole Reformation thing, and then there was people who were swinging a little bit too far one way, and, uh, and he, so he coined this term antinomianism, saying, no, this is not scriptural. We shouldn't be uh, against the law. The law is good, and so we need to understand what our relationship is with the law this morning. Now, uh, having offended uh, short people... Um, I was going to ask, are there any fans of uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick here, Elevation Church? Yeah, don't put your hand up because uh, no, <laughs> we, you don't want to be embarrassed when I play the video. Okay, uh, so, <laughs> so if you don't know, Pastor Stephen Furtick, very uh, well-known, uh, I should say well-respected uh, uh, preacher, Elevation Church, has, has uh, really uh, had a lot of success with their streaming platform, started with the music, and now, of course, they're a multi-site global church. Um, if, you, uh, if you Google it, you'll find a hundred sermons there from uh, Pastor Steve um, as he preaches. Very well-known ministry in many circles. About this time last year, uh, he, he preached a message, um, which was fine, but then sort of this month, it sort of raised its head again because people took some exceptions to uh, what Pastor Stephen was saying on a particular subject. So we're going to watch a short video, 
and, uh, and then see what you think of this. Hopefully, uh, it works. Love will take you way further than the law ever could. I'll prove it to you. Let's say your child is in a horrible accident. Let's say they bust their head wide open on the monkey bars. And they fall off the monkey bars. And monkey bars are like 30 feet high. I'm making this an extreme example. And they fall down and they bust their head wide open. And you scoop them up and put them in the car to get them to the emergency room. And on the way to the emergency room, every sign you see says uh, speed limit. How much attention do you pay to the numbers beneath the speed limit in that moment? Those numbers mean nothing to you. Why? Because somebody that you love is in trouble. And in that moment, any parent will break the law for the sake of love. Any human parent will break the law for the sake of love. And what will really turn your heart to God is not when you hear his laws, which were given for our good, by the way, but they were powerless because there wasn't enough leverage in our action to keep the law. So what God did when he sent his son, and this is why we get excited in church, and this is why tears fill our eyes when we think about Jesus, and this is why the gospel is still good news in the world today, because God broke the law for love. I said to every sinner, God broke the law for love. I mean that he scooped you up in his arms. I mean that he's carrying you in his grace. I mean that what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his son in the likeness of a sinful man. We all cheer. Yeah, yeah God broke the law for love. Yay, yay. Okay, all right. So this is not Elevation Church. Get my expectations down a little bit lower. No one's going to clap for me. No one's going to go, hey, yay, yay. Oh. I could probably squeeze out a tear if I'm really lucky. Okay. Uh, so did God break the law for love? That's what, that's what we just heard. Well-respected preacher, um, part-time heretic. No, no, I didn't say that. You can grab that from the tape. Um, no, did God break the law for love? And that's what I really wanted to uh, think about this morning because when he makes that statement, God broke the law for love, uh, hopefully in your minds you're going, really? Is that, is that really the way it works? Is that really how we get justified that somehow we're being held back, held back from God with this thing that was in the way and God had to call the law and God had to smash through it to be able to rescue us from the other side. Is that, is that really how it worked? Well, first uh, order of business is really to understand, well, what is the law? Now, if we're reading the, the, the New Testament, we realize that every time we talk about the law, we're talking about the Old Testament, because the writers of the New Testament didn't have a New Testament yet because they were still writing it. Okay, so when they're talking about the law, they're talking about uh, all the way back in the first five books uh, of the Bible, and maybe they're talking about the Ten Commandments as a summary of that. 
uh, which sometimes we call the Decalogue, or maybe they're talking about the whole 616 laws uh, of Deuteronomy, right? So it's more than just the 10, sort of expanded all the ways that the people were supposed to relate to God. Uh, However, we've got the New Testament, so does the law apply to us? Uh, We could think about this. Any speed readers out there? Because this is the commands of Jesus. So just when you think, you know, we've done away with the law, uh, what we really need to do is we just need to do what Jesus told us to do. What did Jesus actually tell us to do? Well, there's a whole long list of things. So if you're just saying, you know, I just do what Jesus told me to do. I don't worry about the Old Testament. Uh, there's a lot of things that Jesus told us to do. So we can't just sort of turn our backs on the, the law. And that's not to mention the other things that the New Testament writers actually added to that or fleshed out or, or expanded on from the life of Jesus. So when we're talking about the law this morning, you can either consider it in your own mind as the Old Testament, very prescriptive law, or the commands of Jesus, which really didn't change anything that God had said, right? expanded on, get a little bit more understanding, but didn't really uh, just push that aside and say, I've got some new things. Or you can think about all the commands uh, in the Bible and what are we supposed to do with those? What is our relationship to the law? Because after all, uh, the law brought us death, and so how are we supposed to relate to it now? Well, the first way that people relate to the law, uh, or, or one of the ways that people relate to the, war, uh, the law, is through uh, legalism. Okay? Now, legalism is really saying the law is good and we should follow it, but it gets a little bit uh, of a problem because oftentimes legalism falls into two different uh, camps. The first type of legalism says the letter versus the spirit. People can get very legalistic, and we use that as a, as a bad thing, because they take the letter of the law and they ignore the spirit of the law. Now, here's an example for you. Uh, most of the way between here and Hamilton, the speed limit is 100 kilometers per hour. That maybe comes as a shock to some people in the room, but apparently it is. I drove there the other day. There is some signs that says 100, Okay. Uh, now, if, you, if you're driving at less than that speed, then you are complying with the law. We all agree with that? Um, now, the question, though, is, is what is the spirit of the law? The letter of the law is 100. That's the letter of the law. What's the spirit of the law? Why is the law there in the first place? Uh, Now, we're not going to get into all the conspiracy theories. This is just government government mind control. Uh, It's just a revenue-raising exercise. Um, But the real answer, or the one that they at least tell us, is that primarily it's for our safety. Yes, not just for you, but for those other people who share the road with you. Okay, the speed limit is there for our safety. Now, about this time of year, uh, uh, in the Waikato, Uh, There are probably about two forecasts, weather forecasts you can have, raining or foggy. Uh, And so let's just say I'm driving to Hamilton and it's a very thick fog. So thick, in fact, that driving at 100 would be dangerous. 
Now, if I'm complying with the letter of the law, I can still drive at 100 kilometers an hour, even though it's dangerous. But the spirit of the law is about safety. And so am I, am I complying with the letter of the law? Yes, but I'm breaking the spirit of the law if I drive at a speed that is dangerous. That's the difference. Saying, well, the law says I can do it, but the spirit of the law, the intent or the purpose was actually for my protection, and so I'm ignoring that intent because I'm just focused on the letter of the law. Good example of this in Matthew chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 9, and this is a story about healing on the Sabbath. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 9, then Jesus went over to their synagogue. I like the way he says that. He went over to their synagogue, not his synagogue, uh, where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. And the Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? Now, notice the way they phrase that question. They've got to put in the word work. So it's not just, is it lawful for a person to heal on the Sabbath? They actually say, is it lawful, uh, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? Now, of course, they're referencing Exodus 20. The answer is very clear. Exodus 20, 20 verse 8 says, you shall do no work on the Sabbath. So they're sort of trying to trap him. And the, the verse goes on to say they were hoping he would say yes so they could bring charges against him. And Jesus answers. He says, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Interesting answer. He doesn't say, yes, that's permitted to do work. He says it's a person that's to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, man, just to prove you know, what's really going on, he says to the guy, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored just like the other one. And of course, the answer for the Pharisees in verse 14, they called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus because he's obviously much cleverer than they are. This whole point of the letter of the law says do no work. And if you actually look in the original language, it was actually do no ordinary work. Some translations use that. It's about your occupation. It's about your business. It's about what you normally consume your days with was what it was talking about. It wasn't talking about you can't just lift a finger on the Sabbath. And Jesus uh, in another scripture says that... Uh, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What was the intent? What was the purpose? The purpose was to focus on God. But the Pharisees took that law and they said, now we have to make sure it's all about rules. I think I've shared this before. Uh, in Israel today, there are what they call Sabbath elevators. Sabbath elevators. See, someone has determined that pressing the button in an elevator to move between floors is work. Okay? So either you have to take the stairs, which apparently is not work, <laughs> go figure, rather than press the button. So somebody clever decided that they would come up with what they call a Sabbath elevator, which on the Sabbath from 6 p.m. Friday to 6 p.m. Saturday, you get in the elevator and it will stop on every floor. So you don't have to press the button. See? No work. Yeah, comply with the letter of the law 
and not the Spirit of the Lord. You can see how we start to get into trouble. The problem there is obeys, it's the law, legalism and the law is all about obeying something externally. It's nothing to do with what is happening on the inside. Now, the second type of legalism is actually where we say the letter of the law plus more. Just in case we don't have enough to deal with, uh, we are very good at actually making up rules to suit ourselves. In Mark 7, uh, Jesus actually quotes from Isaiah 29 and he says, you teach human traditions as if they were the word of God. You teach human traditions as if they were the word of God. We have no right to put restrictions on people where God hasn't. We have no right to put restrictions on people where God hasn't. Okay? How often do we see this? Well, in Kenya, uh, alcohol in any amount is strictly forbidden for Christians. In fact, they would even go so far as to say that if you take alcohol, then, your sal- then you could hardly be saved. In other words, your salvation, uh, whether you drink or not, is an indication of whether you are saved or not. And in fact, they go a step further. I've heard it preached, uh, uh, 1 Timothy 3.8 says, In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. Conveniently, they leave out the word much. Instead of saying not indulging in much wine, which is in the original language, that's what it's supposed to say, they say not indulging in wine. Because they can't find any other support for their condition that you don't drink at all. And of course, you say, well, Jesus uh, had wine at the Last Supper, and it's like, wow, now we have to come up with all sorts of doctrine, the de-alcoholization doctrine. Have you ever heard of that? Jesus, the, the whole miracle of Jesus turning uh, uh, Jesus in the wine is that whenever Jesus drank wine, he, he miraculously de-alcoholized it before he drank it. The people out there who believe that. It's, uh, seriously. Uh, what, anyway, let's get a whole, whole... But they've decided that since alcohol is evil in their, own, in their own mind, they add to the Word of God to add those restrictions. Uh, of course, since the verse only talks about wine, you would be perfectly justified in drinking as much spirits as you wanted to, and that would be the first sort of legalism, right? It only says I shouldn't drink wine, so I can drink anything else that I want to because it's not in that verse. You see, legalism, this relationship to the law, is really distilling out the essence of our Christianity down into a rules-based religion. It's about following the right rules, and we get to judge other people on to, as to how well they follow the rules that we think that they should be following. Legalism is not about judging ourselves. After all, we know how bad we are. Legalism, the problem with legalism is it allows us to judge others. It allows us to see people uh, and what they're doing and say we know something about them. Uh, when the Bible says, uh, do not judge lest you be judged, uh, it's really not talking about our external fruit. We're allowed to do that. If a brother sins, uh, then you should go to him so that he may be corrected. It's not about not judging that sin. You're saying, no, 
that we, we need to deal with that. But what we shouldn't judge is the motivation of the heart. We should never say, I know why that person sins, because we don't. Only God knows. So we can correct the fruit, but we're not allowed to correct the motivation. We're not allowed to judge someone based on their motivation. And legalism is that way where we can actually uh, judge people based on the external compliance with something that we believe. Legalism separates the law from the lawgiver and focuses on the law. Now, that's legalism. So you say, well, if legalism is bad, then we should fight against legalism. Yes. And how do we do that? Well, we do it with antinomianism. Uh, antinomianism was this reaction to legalism, saying, well, okay, if legalism is bad, which we shouldn't judge people by the law, then we should say the law is of no importance to us because, after all, Christ came so that we might be free. Amen? Christ came so we might be free? All right, so the law is gone. We agree with Pastor Stephen. God broke... No, we're not agreeing with Pastor Stephen? Okay, all right, all right. Okay, so if you... This this to me is a picture of many, many Christians I know. Anyway, um, grace did it all. I can just sit back, put my feet up, of course, this looks like me during the week when I'm sitting in the office. <laughs> so, so I confess, yes, I confess. I'm meditating, okay? That's me meditating, praying on the Word of God. No, all right. Uh, this whole idea of grace, Christ has done it all. What do I need to do? If Christ has paid the price for my sins, then I can walk in freedom. Is that a scriptural view? Well, let's have a look. John 8.36, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. In Him and through Him, through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Live as free men. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Everything, my personal favorite, everything is permissible for me. There it is. Scriptural evidence Everything is permissible for me. Obviously, we're meant to walk in freedom. We're free from the bondage of the law with no rules and no regulations. When Nicodemus comes to see Jesus in John chapter 3, Jesus actually said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. Now you hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Hey, we're born of the Spirit. We're free. We can just float around doing whatever we want. We're free. Amen. Amen. Oh, fortunately, I've got another 30 minutes to go. All right. (laughs) In the 1980s, we actually saw the rise of the free grace movement. Now, the free grace movement actually taught uh, a lot of those things. Basically, if Christ has done it all, then we don't need to do anything. Now, there's a sort of a, a bit of a problem with that because Christ has done it all. But the logical progression, so we don't have to do anything, sort of falls away when we start to look at what our requirements are. We do not need to do.
do anything but believe. They wanted to get back to the sola fide, faith alone of the Reformation. They want to say it's by faith alone, there is no works based. And I'm not saying that salvation is by works. We're not talking about works. But Jesus said in John 14, 15, we heard at the start of the service, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Oh, okay. So we are supposed to do something. It is free grace. It's nothing within us that allows us to be saved. But after that, if we really want to come into a relationship with Jesus, then there is something we should be doing. Jesus himself said uh, that we need to obey his commands. Often that that whole idea of free grace uh, and antinomianism or being against the law go hand in hand. It's not one necessarily is connected with the other, but they seem to run together. Uh, The opposite of free grace was lordship salvation. I don't have time to unpack that sort of theology, uh, but if you're interested, you can go and uh, uh, spend some time researching the difference between those two. But it's this idea that we're set free, and so therefore we don't have a responsibility. So the law is bad, and we're free from it. I seem to remember something in the Bible about that. If you have your Bibles with with you, uh, turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 7, Romans 7, 7. And I'm going to read all the way through to verse 25, but I'm going to skip out some verses in the middle. Now, just in case you're worried that I'm going to change the meaning of the text, you can follow along and figure out what I skip out so that you know that I'm not changing the meaning of the text. That's why you should bring your Bible to church. Is that right? Okay. Uh, (laughs) I missed that one. All right. So Romans chapter 7, verse 7. This is Paul says, and he actually addresses this question quite directly. He says, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. You ever notice that with your kids? As soon as you say, don't do something, you know, uh, that's when they do it. Whenever you see a sign that says, keep off the grass, people just walk next to it. If the no sign was there, they'd follow the footpath. Uh, Anyway... Uh, verse 9. At one time I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. Not the law. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. And in verse 21, uh, he carries on, I've discovered the principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. 
This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable man, a person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Verse 25, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. See, so you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Legalism separates the law from the lawgiver and elevates the law. Antinomianism separates the law from the lawgiver and elevates the lawgiver. But what Paul is saying here is actually the law is holy, spiritual, right, and good. You see, the problem is not with the law. The problem was with us. The problem was with sin. Sin is the problem. The law was not the problem. The law showed us what our sin was, absolutely. But the law was never a problem. The law is an extension of who God is. If we say that we want a God who doesn't have law, we just want to focus on the nice, the love, and the gentleness, and the kindness, and the mercy, and the forgiveness of God, and we say, that's fantastic. And we're just going to ignore the righteousness, and the justice, and the wrath. We can't do that because it's not two people. It's not the dark side of God and the light side of God. It's God. God is good. That means righteousness is good. That means justice is good. That means wrath is good. We can't separate the two. So now we have to figure out, well, what is actually our relationship? We don't want to separate the law from the lawgiver. So let's have a look at those freedom scriptures again, because for those of you who said, well, hang on a minute, shouldn't you quote the whole verse? Not just a... Okay, verse Corinthians 6, 12, everything is permissible for me. Yeah, no, just stop there, full stop, end of sentence, moving on to the next verse. But not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. If we say, I have this complete freedom to do whatever I want, then we'll, be, we'll end up being mastered by those things that I want. Oh, what about Galatians 5? Uh, what about a new clicker? Oh, there we go. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather... Serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, we are free, but don't use that freedom as somehow an excuse uh, for our sinful nature, but we should come back to obeying what the law is. Now, the law, is the problem, is not the letter, but the spirit that we missed. What was the spirit of the law? That we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. That we're supposed to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That sums up the whole of the law. It was about relationship between us and other people and between us and God. That's what the law was all about. And sometimes this reaction against the law is because we think of the letter and we think of the restrictions, we think of the rules. But in actual fact, the law is for our good. The law is there so that we can have freedom so that we can not be mastered by sin. Uh, 1 Peter uh, 2.16, we said, live as free men. 
but do not use your freedom to cover up for evil. Live as servants of God. So this freedom that we have is real. It exists. It's there. But it's not an excuse for just doing whatever we want. That's never what we were set free for. The law had the power over us. That's true. And Christ set us free from that power. But he did it in a different way than what we heard at the start. You see, it would have been easier for God to break the law and say, well, I'm just going to abolish that and push it to one side and say, you know, that didn't work. Moving on to plan B. But he didn't. He sent Christ to fulfill the law, which was much, much harder than just abolishing it and saying that's no good in the first place. Matthew 5, 17. Don't misunderstand. This is the words of Jesus. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. What was their purpose? It was for our good. God set these things in place so that we might have life and success and prosperity. That's what the purpose of the law was. That was the spirit of the law. That was the intent. And Christ came to fulfill the law so that we might have the good things that the law is going to provide to us. Remember that whole idea of of both legalism and antinomianism separating the law from the lawgiver and focusing on one or the other. Christ came to fulfill the requirements of the law so it no longer has power over us, so that we're no longer subject to the punishment that comes along with the law, but he came so that it might, it might achieve its purpose in us. We stand in a different relationship to the law. Now, Paul talks about that different relationship in the first half of Romans chapter 7. So we're going to go back. I won't read through the scripture there, but if you have a look at the first half of Romans 7, Paul uses this analogy between a, of a marriage covenant, and he says, okay, so two people get married, they have a covenant between them. And if one person goes off and commits adultery, it's because they're still in contractual relationship. So, what if, But if one person dies, the other person is free to marry. That's the analogy that he's drawing when he talks about the law. The question is, who died? Us or the law? The law didn't die. The law is still very much a part of who God is. We died so that we could have a different relationship to the law. The work of Christ is that we actually are able to fulfill the requirements of the law as we are in him, as we are in Christ. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Jesus didn't say something different from what God said in the Old Testament. So it's like, oh, no, I realize you had all those Old Testament stuff uh, going on, but if you just do what I say, that'll be good. No, Jesus came to expand on and, and, re, and tell us the spirit of the intent behind all the things that was going on in the Old Testament, uh, not so that we could get out from underneath it, but so that we could fulfill it. Living in the Spirit is now our way of fulfilling the law. Living in the Spirit is now our way of fulfilling the law. 
Christ fulfilled all the requirements and he stands in perfect relationship to it. We stand in Christ and that gives us both the motivation and the ability to meet the requirements of the law. Okay? When we are in Christ, we should have the motivation, if you love me, you will obey these commands, and the ability, because the Spirit is at work within us, to do all those things that are pleasing to God. In Christ, we have both the motivation and the ability to meet the requirements of all those commands that Jesus said, uh, all of the, the things that God wants us to do. And of course, if we, if we miss out, if we fall short of where we're supposed to be, we're not subject to the punishment because Christ stands in perfect relationship to the law. And we are only successful when we are in Christ. So what does this mean? Did God break the law for love? Absolutely not. God did not break the law. God's law is an expression of his character. God would not continue to be God if he somehow changed his character. God shows us the importance of the law because Christ came to fulfill it, not to abolish it. The mystery of the cross is that how God could justify the sinner and still remain just. How God could take his righteousness and put it on us and still remain righteous. It's unfortunate little sentence at the end of the video. Maybe you, uh, maybe you picked up on it, but uh, Pastor Stephen um, mentioned at the end that God sent sinful man to be sin for us. I was like, oh, oh, no, God did not send sinful man. God is not a lawbreaker. God is not a sinner. God sent a perfect man who became, who took our sin on himself. Not he was sinful. He took our sin on us so that we could die to the law, so that we could live with the law. So, what is your relationship to the law? We started this morning with John 14, 15. If you love me, obey my commands. The legalist would translate that verse slightly differently. The legalist might say, John 14, 15. If you follow me, Obey my commands, as well as some more I'll tell you about later. John 14, 15. It's memory verse, that one. Uh, the antinomious would translate that verse by, like this. They would say, John 14, 15. If you love me, consider my commands and pick the ones you like. John 14, 15. Might be, there's a new version coming out there. Um, I like the way that the CEV translates John 14, 15 to 17. The CEV says it like this. If you love me, if you have a relationship with me, if you desire in your heart to give yourself to me and follow me, then obey my commands. Don't worry. I'm not going to leave you to work this out on your own. I'll ask Dad and he'll give you another helper who will be with you and walk alongside you and make sure you have the strength to follow through on all that I've told you to do. This helper is the spirit of truth. Even though the world can't figure out how you do it because they don't know him, he will be in you as your secret weapon living in you forever. Uh, I should have mentioned there the CEV is Craig's exaggerated version, not to be confused with the contemporary English version. Unfortunate that it's the same, uh, same acronym there. But uh, anyway, Craig's exaggerated version. Uh, that's how John 14, 15 to 17 goes. 
You see, if you love me, obey my commands doesn't finish there. It actually finishes with, and I'll give you everything you need to do that. Right? If you love me, obey my commands, and here's the power that you need to do that. If you are in right relationship, you will have the motivation to do it, and God has given us the ability to do it as well. Here's a, a familiar passage from Galatians chapter 5, and I'll finish with this. So for all those praying for finishing before 11.30, um, God answers prayers. Okay, Galatians 5, to 26, this is the message version. But what happens when we live in God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good, crucified. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. The NIV puts it a little bit shorter. says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We aren't free to do whatever we want. We are free to do whatever He wants. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you've done it all for us. And done it all, you've made a way so that we can come into a right relationship with all that you ask of us, all that you command us to do. Lord, I pray, Lord, that even as we find those things in our lives that are difficult to do, that we would look to you and the relationship that we have to you as the, our motivation. We would say that the love you have poured out for us, Lord, and the love that we have given back to you would be the motivation to want to do all those things that you call us to do. And Lord, I pray that even as we find ourselves falling short, it wouldn't be a case of trying harder. Lord, we wouldn't come to that place to say, I'm not good enough, but we would start to walk in the Spirit. Lord, we would ask Holy Spirit to come and help us to, to meet the requirements, help us to walk out those things that you have asked us to do. And Lord, I pray that even as we, as we live this life, even as we look forward to doing all the things that you want us to do, that, that's for our good and for, uh, to make us successful, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would ever be with us, encouraging us, urging us on, pulling us in, and letting us be free from condemnation that would try and drag us back into our old life. Lord, we thank you that you have finished the work, that you have done all of these things, not so that we could walk in our own way, but that we could walk in yours. We thank you for that, and we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'll hand it over to uh, Jamie to finish off with. Awesome. That was intense, wasn't it? That was good. A lot of meat for you to go home and uh, meditate on. So encourage you once again to get a hold of the app. Re-listen to the messages because that was 
it's got some real good meat for us to tell and chew on. So I want you to apply that in our lives. That's awesome. Um, if you've got any prayer needs or anything this morning that you would love uh, us to gather around and support you in prayer, we'd love to do that. Come and see one of us at the front. Um, if you've got children out in the zone, please for, don't forget to pick them up. And I've only been one week of school, but they still need to go home. Okay, it'll be great. But I want you to have an amazing week. Seek God and uh, walk in the Spirit, and that would be awesome. Okay? Bless you. Have a great week. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys.